Well, good morning, everyone. Yep, thank you, Kingsley. Is that better? Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Today, I want us to look at holiness. What does it mean? The Bible says that we should be holy. Be holy because I am holy. God told the people of Israel. In Leviticus, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he also, later on another time, he says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. So we can look at what the therefore is there for. Notice why God brought them out of Egypt. To be their God. And the expected consequence was that they would be holy. The Apostle Peter quotes this in the letter that he wrote to the persecuted Christians around uh, 60 AD. And it's a verse that I've always felt uncomfortable about. Being holy. My expectation to be holy. And uh, just kind of skipped it over. God can't expect me to be holy, can he? What does holy mean? Holy means set apart, consecrated, separate, dedicated. Think of it a bit like this. Some people have a good dinner set, a special set of dishes set apart for visitors and special occasions. My parents had a Royal Albert dinner set that they, we weren't allowed to touch when we were young children. It was holy in the sense of being set apart for, from everyday crockery. It was kept in a separate cupboard, dedicated to special occasions. We generally only saw it at Christmas time. So that's kind of the concept of holiness, being set apart, used for special things, special times. So things can be holy, places can be holy, people can be holy, time can be holy. I thought that was quite interesting. I hadn't sort of thought of all of those things as able to be holy. We know that God is holy. He's a God like no other. That's what his holiness really means. We know that he's perfect, he's complete, he's righteous, just, merciful, gracious, beyond our comprehension. And in that, he's like no other. Isaiah, when he was describing his vision of God on the throne in heaven, says that the mighty angels attending him are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. He's a God who isn't like any other God. In this recent book, Paul Tripp describes a trip to see the world's tallest skyscraper. Wherever you go in Dubai, you're confronted by the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building. Impressive skyscrapers are all around Dubai, but the Burj Khalifa looms over them all with the majestic glory. At 2,716 feet, that's just over half a mile. 
It dwarfs buildings that would otherwise leave you in mouth-gaping awe. As you move around Dubai, you see all of these buildings and you say to yourself again and again, how in the world did they build that? But the Burj Khalifa is on an entirely other scale. Even from far away, it was hard to crank my head back far enough to see all the way to the top. The closer I got, the more imposing and amazing this structure became. As I walked, there was no thought of the other buildings in Dubai that had previously impressed me. As amazing as those buildings were, they were simply not, they were simply not comparable in stunning architectural grandeur and perfection to this one. When I finally got to the base of the Burj Khalifa, I was, felt incredibly small, like an ant at the base of a light pole. I entered a futuristic-looking elevator and in what seemed like seconds was on the 125th floor. This was not the top of the building because that was closed to visitors. As I stepped to the windows to get a feel of how high I was and to scan the city of Dubai, I immediately commented on how small the rest of the buildings looked. Those small buildings were skyscrapers that in any other city would have been the buildings that you wanted to visit. They looked small, unimpressive and not worthy of attention, let alone awe. I had experienced the greatest, which put what had impressed me before into proper perspective. By means of God's revelation of himself in scripture, we see that there's no perfection like God's perfection. There is no holiness as holy as God's holiness. If you allow yourself to gaze upon his holiness, you'll feel incredibly small and sinful. It is a good thing spiritually to have the assessments of our own grandeur decimated by divine glory. And this was the response that we see Isaiah had when he saw his vision of the Lord. He, as God's prophet, would have been as holy and righteous as any Israelite, but seeing God made him totally aware of his unworthiness in comparison. So how can God expect me to be holy? God wanted his people to be different to other nations around them. He started out by telling them to set one day and seven aside for rest. They were to rest. No one was to travel or work, not even foreigners or servants or even animals. They did not go to a place of worship on that day, but they had a special meal with special prayers in their own homes. So this is how it all started. Last time we talked about the Israelites escaping from the Egyptians and following the pillar of cloud and fire. So about a month after they left Egypt, they started to run out of food. They took some with them, of course, but it wasn't going to last forever. There was no grain to make bread out here in the wilderness, and the people couldn't see how they could get more food. So the Israelites complained to Moses, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. God said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from the skies for you. The people will be able to gather the food each day. On the sixth day, they are to gather twice as much as they gather on the other days. Moses said to Aaron, 
Announce this to the entire community. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community, they looked towards the wilderness, and there they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So that evening, the quail flew in and covered the camp, and the people caught quail and had meat to eat. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all over the camp, and when the dew evaporated, there on the ground was a fine flaky something, fine as frost on the ground. The Israelites took one look and said to one another, Manu, what is it? And so that's what manna literally means. What is it? They had no idea what it was. It looked like coriander seed, whitish, and it tasted like a cracker with honey. So you can see how if it was like a seed like that, they could grind it up, they could make flour out of it, they could boil it, they could do all sorts of different things with it, which is apparently what they did. So Moses told them, it's the bread God has given you to eat, and these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two litres per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. Don't leave any of it until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Now a few of them kept back some until the next morning, but it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. They gathered it every morning, and when the sun heated up, it melted. On the sixth day, God told them to gather twice as much manna, about four litres per person. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an ex explanation. What's all this extra stuff for? It'll just go bad. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what's left for tomorrow. They kept the leftovers until the next morning and as Moses instructed, and it didn't smell bad and there were no maggots in it. Moses told the people, it's okay to eat. You won't find any manna on the ground today because God has given you the seventh day to rest. Some of the people went out to check, but there was no manna on that day. So God provided manna for the people for 40 years as they travelled around the wilderness following that pillar of cloud and fire. Would have got pretty boring, you'd reckon. But it must have been very nutritionally balanced because <laughs> they... God kept them healthy and strong for all those 40 years, apart from the ones who were dying off. They must have just died from heart attacks or something because it says God uh, didn't let them get sick with all the diseases that had been in Egypt. So the concept of Sabbath is an example of time being holy. That day, that time, time set apart for God. For me, Sunday is a holy day in that it's a day I set apart for God. It's a special day, different to all the other days of my week. 
And God then came down onto his holy mountain in a dark cloud and fire and gave the law to, law to Moses with all its rules and regulations that made his people different. They were to be God's holy people who would be different to the nations around them. Not perfect, but special and set apart for God. They were to worship only the one true God, unlike the other nations who had many gods. They were to worship only the... Uh, they weren't to make any images to worship, unlike the surrounding nations who made all kinds of images of their different gods. Yahweh is not a God that can be seen, so they couldn't make images of him. I'm sure they found it difficult, like we do, not being able to see God. But at least we know that Jesus came to show us what God is like. As it says in Colossians, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Along with the law, God gave Moses the plans for building the tabernacle and instructions as to how they were to worship in it. The tabernacle was to be a holy place. Exodus 25 says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here's a list of the sacred offerings you may accept. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. So where did a bunch of slaves get all this stuff from? Gold, silver, gemstones, spices. Well, just before they left Egypt, after the last plague, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, O Egypt's head, and be gone. Go. But ask your God to bless me before you go. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land quickly, for they thought, we'll die if they will stay here. So the Israelites took their bread dough with before the yeast was added, and they wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed them. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. And the Lord caused the, caused the Egyptians to look favourably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. So God had it all planned. The uh, people probably were thinking, wow, this is great, I'm rich. But God had plans for all that gold and silver and special cloth and threads and precious stones. So the Israelites built a holy place, a unique, specially designed, portable temple fitted out with holy things. 
they were called a holy place and holy things. We don't have time to go into all the details today, but you can see how the whole thing is designed so the Levites, who were the only ones allowed to touch the holy tabernacle, could pull it all down, pack it up and move it when the pillar of cloud and fire moved and they had to follow. In the centre, you can see the holy place and the most holy place or holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was placed and God's presence rested. Notice that all the furniture in these rooms have carrying poles so the priests didn't actually touch these things when they moved them. They weren't allowed to touch them because they were holy, set apart for God. So what does it mean for us to be holy? God says we should be holy like he is holy. So what does it mean? Is there a difference between holiness and righteousness? Yes, there is. God has given us that free gift of righteousness, bought with the blood of Jesus. We're right with him. Colossians says, As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't that fantastic? Hebrews 10 says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honour at God's right hand. For by that one offering, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Holiness is different from righteousness, although if you're set apart for God, you will, as a consequence, live differently to those who are not. So holiness will change our behaviour. If I dedicate my life to God, it will begin to affect everything I do and say. I'll be different. Being holy means being different. Being different isn't always easy. Sometimes I don't like it very much. Do you? If I'm holy or set apart for God, I'm still the physical person God made me with the same personality and natural giftings. But how I use my body and giftings, my time and resources will be different. Christians are to be different, different in such a way that we'll make a difference in the world. We're made righteous by Jesus' blood and we are being made holy by choosing to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Peter's letter, he goes on to say, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we're also a holy nation, not just the Israelites of, of the Bible times. When we choose to dedicate our lives to God, we're choosing to be holy, dedicated, set apart for him. We have purpose and direction. We're obeying the scripture that says, be holy because I am holy. When we choose to be different, 
others can see God's goodness. Tim Keller said he would never forget the story about one of his mentors, a college professor named Dr. Addison Leach. Two young women at the college were both bright and their respective parents wanted them to get master's degrees and go on to have careers. But instead, they both became Christians. Both decided that they were going to become missionaries. Their parents had a fit. One of the mothers called Dr. Leach, thinking that Dr. Leach was one of the reasons that the girls had become, in the mother's word, religious fanatics. Rather than pursuing the course, they had hoped, getting a career and having security. Instead, they were going off wildly into the blue. This mother said, we wanted our daughter to get a master's degree, start a career and get something in the bank so she could have some security. Dr. Leach responded, please just let me remind you of something. We're all on this little ball of rock called Earth and we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles per hour. Even if we don't run, in, run into anything, eventually we're all going to die. Which means that every single one of us, under every single one of us, there's a trapdoor that's going to open one day and we're all going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. So maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security, but the biggest savings account in the world can't stop cancer, can't stop traffic accidents, can't stop broken hearts. It can't give you anything, any of the things that only God can give you. He's the only significance you can have. He's the only love that you can get and can't lose. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful gift of righteousness bought with Jesus' blood. That means we can come boldly into your presence knowing we're accepted. We can stand before you without a single fault. Thank you that we have significance because of you. Thank you for that love that we can't lose. Help us to grow in holiness. Holy Spirit, please show us any area of our lives which we have not set apart for you. Help us to be willing to be different because we are yours. Amen.